Hello, welcome everyone. We are back with another interview. Today, we are going to be interviewing currently the judge yep. in branch one. Uh, she is running for election. I was going to say re-election, but you're running for election here for branch one for the circuit court judge position. Uh, we're here with Judge Larissa Benitez Morgan. Thank you for coming in. Thank you, Corey. Appreciate yeah. the invitation. Yeah, of course. No problem at all. So before we get into everything, um, I want people to know this is separate from the people we were interviewing last week. Last week we were dealing with Branch 6. Now we're dealing with Branch 1 here. Yep. Um, so before we get too far into this, how about you give us a rundown of maybe your background, what you got, got you into... Uh, becoming the judge or being involved with community, all that good stuff. Sure. Um, well, I've uh, lived here in Kenosha for over uh, 23 years. I moved here in the mid-90s uh, with my two, two children who are now adults uh, in their 30s. Um, and I came here when I worked for myself. Done a variety of different jobs over the course of, of my lifetime. And I was a data consultant, came out to work for a variety of different manufacturing companies here, trying to get them ISO certified and that sort of thing. So, but I always had planned on going to law school. Um, it was what I'd always dreamed of my entire life, made different life choices along the way. And when the telecommunications industry kind of went kaputs, uh, I decided, if not now, when? So I did. Went back, uh, finished my law degree, got two other law degrees, and... Um, then I started working, and what I found out was people need good attorneys, and it shouldn't matter how much money you have. Mm. And so I closed up a shop in Illinois and some stuff I was doing here in Wisconsin. I was doing a lot of uh, trademark, copyright, uh, contract work, real estate work, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, and did some family law, and uh, had worked for a MedMal firm for a while. Um, and then I decided to do something in my community. This is where I live. Uh, this is where my children were educated. Um, this is where I'm currently raising my, my goddaughter. So uh, I thought, go work for the public defender's office. They need good attorneys. And again, it shouldn't matter how much money you have. So that's what I did. And um, uh, handled a variety of cases um, from... Well, everything criminal there is, whether it's a, a misdemeanor disorderly conduct all the way up to homicides. Um, over uh, the course of a variety of years working uh, in the community, I've gotten to know quite a few community members. I've gone out and spoken at schools and uh, try to make kids understand what the ramifications of getting in trouble can be. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people think that, you know, I'm just a kid, it's no big deal. And you turn 18 and Life moves on, and no, that's television. That's not really how that works. Mm. Um, things you do as a juvenile can affect you the rest of your life. So I did a lot of uh, specializing in juvenile law mm. when I was with, with the public defender's office. Served on a variety of judicial committees and, and uh, different committees here in Kenosha. Um, and then ultimately, uh, when the opportunity came uh, to become a judge, uh, once again, I asked if not now, when? And so I applied. Um, I was selected, and I've been uh, the sitting judge in Branch 1 uh, since last year when Judge Bashanelli retired. So 
Um, by the time I was able to get sworn in, COVID was already mm. in full force. So uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to have the investiture, which is the normal formal swearing-in ceremony. It's held mm. in our gorgeous ceremonial courtroom, and, and the public's invited, and there's huge parties and things afterwards and that sort of thing, but uh, COVID. So uh, yeah, that didn't happen. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, got sworn in on a Sunday and had started hearing cases Monday morning. Um, and finished up uh, Judge Bashanelli's rotation of one week of family, one week of civil law. Mm. Um, one thing I, I discovered in going through this whole elections process and that sort of thing is how many people don't really understand how many judges we have, which mm. is one of the things I'm loving about you doing all these interviews mm. is because, like you, I agree that people need to know what they're voting for and what's going on in their community. It's part of why... I came to work in the community in which I live. Mm -hmm. You know, I could have continued working in Illinois and, and commuting back and forth and that sort of thing. But it's important, I think, that you give back to the community in which you live and you reside. Um, so we did family, did did the civil rotation, and then in August I rotated into, because uh, the judges here in Kenosha rotate every two years. Mm -hmm. You've got eight judges. And uh, well, just circulating the nomination forms, for example, I was surprising to see how many people uh, didn't realize that you vote for each branch that's up. And right now it's branch one, uh, which I have the privilege of being the current judge for, uh, branch five, branch eight, and branch six. Um, so, you know, just circulating the forms to see people go, oh, I, I've already signed that form. Which form did you sign? Well, I, I signed for branch six. I, well, yeah but you still can sign for branch five. You can sign for branch eight. You can sign for branch one. So it's just little things like that. So everything you're doing to help educate the community as to how this process works and what's going on, I think, is extremely helpful. Um, education is something I hugely believe in. Um, my family will tell you that I would have probably become a professional student and continue to be a professional mm -hmm. student. They kept telling, put down the PhD and go get a J-O-B. But that's the great thing about being a judge, mm -hmm. is you constantly have that intellectual curiosity and stimulation. You have something to satisfy that. The law is always changing. Um, what may have been law today might not be law six months from now or vice versa. So you have to be uh, able to keep informed of not only what the law is now, but what's coming up, what's going on. So um, it's a lot of learning, a lot of reading, a lot of writing, and those are all things that I absolutely love doing. Currently, I do one week of juvenile, uh, which was my rotation last week. This week coming up, it's criminal. Um, some judges in other jurisdictions hear only felonies or only misdemeanors or, you know, that sort of thing. But in Kenosha, your criminal rotation, you hear everything. So I hear everything from driving without a driver's license to homicides. Um, and I do that, you know, every other week. Um, we have uh, other judges are on that family civil or my court partner in halftime juvenile, halftime something else currently does the guardianships, the mental health uh, cases, uh, those sorts of things. So you have to know a little bit about everything. And I'm fortunate enough in my background that I've either, you know, I've practiced in so many of these different areas over the course of time that I was an attorney. So, but right now uh, it's election time. 
and I'm up for election. Um, that happens in April, and uh, I'm fortunate enough that we don't have a primary, unlike Branch 6, uh, so it's just the April election. So since you've been, um, you've had a little bit of experience now, you know, being the uh, interim judge, what, what has the experience been like for you thus far? You know, because a lot of people are, are running, right? And, you know, with their backgrounds, a lot of people, you know, you hear it's like, I have the background, I have the experience, I know that I can successfully get this done. Um, since you've now been, you know, working the job for, for quite some time, you know, a little bit, you've had some experience with it. Is there anything that you encountered once you actually got into the position that kind of, kind of blindsided you in a way or you didn't necessarily expect? May it be like the workload or whatever, maybe any kind of intricacy? Well, not so much the workload because when you're a practicing attorney, you're already, you're already doing the work, okay? If, if you're really uh, doing what you should be doing, you're already doing the work. You're already doing the research on the case law. You should know what that is. You already uh, know how to work a case one way or the other and, and proceed from that. So a judge, um, again, it's not so much like television. Mm. Circuit court judges in the state of Wisconsin are trial court judges. We don't make the law, which means, you know, you can't come to court and say, yeah, and look at your case and go, oh, this is just ridiculous. Throw that. No, that's television. That's not how that works. Mm. Um, we don't make the law. Uh, we don't charge people. That's the job for the district attorney's office. I mean, everybody has their, their little departments. Um, what a circuit court judge is supposed to do is to know what the law is and then apply the law to a given situation, which is uh, the other thing that I, I found interesting when, when people were asking me, well, what's your platform? And I'm kind of like, hmm. what? <laughs> Because it's not as if, you know, I'm running on lower taxes, lower, that's, right. we don't do that, right. you know. I mean, when you take the judicial oath, it's irrespective of any person who comes before you to faithfully, you know, discharge the, your, your duties. And it's without prejudice. It's without any of this stuff. So you can have a judicial philosophy as to how you think things should be. But it's not really something you run on because we don't make things up. Mm -hmm. it, it is what it is. Right. And we may not like the laws or maybe we do like the laws. It, it, you know, it, but we don't make them. That's why it's important to vote. Because if you don't like how something's going, well, you start at the local level. Mm -hmm. With your school boards, with your, your county boards, with your local representation that goes, in our case, in Madison who are making the laws for the rest of the state, you know, and then who we elect to go to Washington. That's where those changes take place. Mm. But circuit court judges, we just, are, just we have to apply what's already there. So knowing all that, you know that before you become a judge. Um, and you know your calendar is going to be busy. You know, my calendar tomorrow, I think I've got a hearing every, every half hour, something's calendared. Um, and you hope that you can hear what needs to be going on. A lot of times people just need new dates because they still don't have all the information they need to effectively, you know, try the case or represent their client. 
um, when you have hearings that you know are going to be a lot longer because of motions. Well, then you calendar those accordingly to make sure everybody has their time. Um, I already knew that I was going to be the type of judge that essentially the same way I felt as an attorney, as a human being. When somebody comes to court, that's their most important day of their life. For that half hour, two days, week, whatever it may be, whether it's the victim of a certain case or the person who's charged with somebody, two people getting divorced or they're arguing over child custody or it's the tenant who just wants their deposit back. You know, that's their time. So I, I think it's important to not lose sight of that and to understand that, yeah, you may have a calendar, but that's their important day. Mm. So everybody is heard. And that's the one thing I insist on. If you have something you want to say, you're going to have the time to say it. And more importantly, I'm going to listen to you. As a practicing attorney, I found more often than not, that's what people really wanted. Whether they were suing because of something that happened as an error in, in their, in something medically, and there was a medical malpractice. Most of the time, they just want to know what happened. It's the same thing when people come to court. They want to have their voice heard. And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. So I knew I was going to be doing that going forward because that's just how I was raised. It's part of who I am. I can't change those things, nor do I want to. Um, but one thing I will tell you, though, is, you know, when, you, when, you're, when you're an attorney, you're, you're sitting at that table, you've got your client with you for whatever type of case it is. And you're making sure you know your role, what your job is, whether it's to object or, or whether it's to, you know, how you're going to ask certain questions or what witnesses you're going to be queuing on. And then there's, you know, the district attorney, they say what they're going to say and they're, they're thinking all of the stuff they have to. You know, you've gone through your witnesses and the judge is doing their job and what it is they're going to say. There's magic words that the judge is supposed to say. And I can tell you the first time that month before I, I actually started and I was, you know, at the courthouse at night going through, making sure that I understood what was coming up and reviewing any case law that I may not have been, you know, that familiar with over the last few years. And, and it dawned on me one day, probably should have listened to those magic words a little bit carefully <laughs> because now I had to, remember and relearn what all those magic words so that was the one thing if, if there was something that struck me as oh my goodness what are you going to have to do so it was awful lot of late nights uh struggling to try and figure out what those those uh those magic words were um fortunately for me i had um the wonderful privilege of working with two of the most incredible women i know and that is my court reporter and my court clerk uh, they are phenomenal. They've been working in that courthouse for over 20 some years. They work with Judge Bashanelli and, you know, they know a lot. <laughs> and they were to help me. And I think that's what you need, is you need help. Um, I, I think the biggest flaw anybody can make is thinking, oh, I'm a lawyer, I can just jump in here and be a judge and it's all good. No, that, that's really not how that works. You know, I, I don't have an ego. It's not about me. It's about making sure that the people are heard that come to court, everybody's had their day. You might not like my decisions, um, but you're never gonna be able to say, I didn't listen to you mm -hmm. as to what happened. And um, it's a team effort. Um, I count on my court clerk 
and my court reporter. Um, there are so many things that they've heard. Just imagine the types of cases that they've heard over the last 20 years. Yeah, exactly. So I have this team that I get to work with every single day. And if you find something you love, you never have to work. And I'm fortunate right now. And I'd like to continue doing that. Um, I think I'm very good at what I do. Uh, and I want to continue to get better. Because you can always improve. No matter who you are, no matter what you do. But you have to be willing to learn. And you have to be willing to check your ego at the door. Um, and that goes well with my judicial philosophy of what I think, you know, a judge should be. It all goes hand in hand. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, I think character has a lot to go, has a lot to do with the position, you know. Um, because like you said, you have to be able to check your ego. Some people... You know, can't necessarily do that. You know, sometimes they're good at cloaking or or, or whatnot. But um, just kind of based off of your background, you know, just you know, saying that people need support, so I'm going to go and I'm going to join the public defender's office. You know, things like that, or even just stating that people people's day in court to them is their most important day, and recognizing that. You know, those are the things that I feel like um, are really the things that people need to key into and um, especially looking at positions like this, you know, um, those bipartisan decisions that are really just there to service the people regardless of where you fall on this, If even if you're, you're considered in the wrong, if the law is in, on your side, you know, being objective and being able to just say this is what the law is and just highlighting to people so then people can go forward and take the necessary steps to either change things if things need to be changed, but still allowing things to be fair for everyone. So I, I, I really like that. Um, can we kind of talk a little bit about your time as a public defender? Sure. Um, because, I mean, I'm, I can imagine especially, you know, wanting to be a lawyer, deciding to, you know, go back and pursue that and then becoming a lawyer, start working, you know, in your firm. Um, and then saying, you know what, it's really not about the money, you know. Um, I was having a discussion with um, uh, one of the candidates uh, prior to this. And I had mentioned, like, what could you do to make the flow of information in the legal process more accessible to everyone? Um, because a lot of people, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to become a lawyer. It's not just... Oh yeah, I, I have I have a ton of debt. Believe right. me, I, I for my other degrees I, I don't have any, but for you know three different law degrees, uh, yeah, I, I have a lot of school debt. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's not cheap. I wish it was less expensive in this country uh, to get an education. Um, and education, as I've already said, is, is extremely important to me. Um, it's why when I was a public defender. Every one of my adult clients. You may not have had a high school diploma when I started with you, but by the time I closed my file, you had a GED or an HSED. You know, mm -hmm. nope, that's not part of my job as an attorney, right. but it's part of my job as a human being, mm -hmm. right? If what's what's the goal here? The goal, as I saw it, was number one, to be the best attorney I could ever be. Mm -hmm. Okay, not a good attorney. I wanted to be a great attorney, and I had I and I. My success has never been dependent upon somebody else's failure. Mm. 
it's the measures that I put on myself. And you can blame my mother for that because that's what that's how I was raised. All of us were instilled to be the best we could be. Um, and you define what that is for you. So I wanted to do something. And uh, why are people getting in trouble? What is it they're lacking? What, what What's going on with them? And I found a lot of it had to do with for whatever reason, they didn't finish high school. So, well, my goodness, that's the basic just to get a job. When you're in high school, you don't have a high school diploma and people will hire you, mm. right? Um, but once you're done with school or beyond school age, people kind of expect you to have that piece of paper. Mm. So that's the first stumbling block that people had, is if you don't have that basic, how are you going to move on beyond? So that was important to me. And um, so all of my adult clients, and I can say all of them because I'm notorious for my spreadsheets. People used to make fun of me. But I like to track things because that's how you can gauge and see whether you're improving or you're not improving. Look at your cycle times, et cetera. But then I started going, okay, well, that's great. But I don't want people to get to the adult system. I want to stop it beforehand. So what do I do now? Well, then I started specializing in juvenile law. And juvenile law is more than just kids. We also deal with whether uh, it's uh, children, well, obviously kids who've gotten in trouble. Those are delinquencies. Uh, maybe it might be truancies. Well, the kids aren't going to school. Why aren't they going to school? Maybe they don't have any clothes. Maybe they're embarrassed. Um, Maybe they really don't have any place to sleep the night before, you know. So you got to work with, with those kinds of things. So you have children in need of protective services. And then you have the other side of that, where you're also dealing with mental health problems. You have uh, kids um, uh, who are in the process of having, uh, their parents are having their their parental rights terminated. So it's, it's a whole, juvenile law is a whole other beast, whole other specialty. And people don't seem to distinguish between that and adult land either. Um, the processes are pretty much the same, say a juvenile delinquency case versus a you know, criminal case. Um, but we use different words. And I have always liked to explain that to my clients or their parents that I think they do that because they want to keep the system separated. For example, kids don't say, I'm guilty. No, they would say, I admit. Um, they wouldn't say not guilty, they would say deny. Whereas the adults, they do it that way. Adults go to sentencings. Kids have what are called disposition hearings. We're disposing of the case. Same thing, people seem to think that, uh, and again, this is television where I sometimes just want to scream at the TV and go, stop it! Um, this, oh, they're just a kid, don't worry about it, they're not going to get in that much trouble, you know, they're going to get off, blah, blah, blah. No. Actually, a kid can do more time for a crime than you would an adult because any time a child's charged with something that would be six months or longer for an adult, mm -hmm. all options are on the table as to what a circuit court judge can do. Mm -hmm. Counsel from the bench, it's like a spectrum, right? Look at it like a number line. Mm -hmm. I can counsel from the bench. I can tell you, don't do that again. Stop being silly. I could place you on supervision. I could impose, maybe stay up to 360 days in detention for ACE program, alternative corrections. I can remove you from your home, place you in a group home, treatment home, foster home, residential home. Or if warranted enough, I can actually place you in kid prison, corrections. 
adult, I get to say, you're going to do 13 months in prison, or you're going to do nine months in the Kenosha County Jail, or you're going to do six months, whatever it may be. If this kid goes to corrections, judge doesn't say when they get out. Oh, wow. Department of Corrections does. And they can keep them until they're 18. Mm. Okay? Wow. So when a kid gets picked up for something, a battery, that's a nine-month misdemeanor. All of that's on the table. So that was why it was important for me to go to schools, to talk to kids. And I would do the middle schools, the elementary schools, the high schools. Um, you know, as a public defender, I didn't really have, have the swag that I would always come in usually after a couple of police detectives that I knew. And, uh, you know, they always came in with the swag, but the, the bad, you know, the stick. I, I didn't have any of that. I worked at the public defender's office. Unfortunately, they didn't give us swag. Um, but I did print some cards that told them some of their basic rights. You know, same thing. People come from out of state. We've got a lot of people that have moved up here from Illinois. Illinois, the laws are different. You cannot question a juvenile without their parent or their attorney. Here in Wisconsin, you can ask for mommy and daddy all day long. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You have to say the magic words. I want an attorney. You know? But it's, it's just some of these basic things um, that I think is, it's all part of that education system. Um, I think we have one of the most amazing legal systems in the world. And, you know, it's, it's just incredible. It's fascinated me since I was a child. Um, here you are presumed innocent until proven guilty. Other parts of the world, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah right. Good luck with that. Really? You know, you want an attorney? Yeah, good luck with that. You want to get out? <laughs> you can get out when we say you can get out. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 different. But uh, anyway, working for the public defender's office, I um, met some amazing people in the Kenosha County, from all the way from the lake, all, all the way uh, all the way west. Um, uh, various organizations that we've done some really good things with the kids, and it's it's important. Some of the children that I've encountered, um, they've never had anybody tell them that they could be something, that they could do anything with their life. It's sad. As a parent, it's like, you know, and yeah, those were my babies. And, you know, I, you know, I'm their second mom. Mom gets to share them with me because we're going we're gonna to work on some things. We're going to do some stuff. Used to have tutoring for the kids uh, that were having difficulty in school. Because, again, without a high school diploma, how far are you going to get it? Right? So that's what I do on Saturdays and Sundays. We do tutoring or after school. But some of that was the same thing I did when I was in private practice. I would meet with the kids at the public defender's office after hours because you're not going to miss school to come meet with me. But more importantly, what about the parent that has to bring them here? So you're going to miss work when you're the only one paying for your children and supporting your children just to bring you know, little Johnny to the office to deal with me because little Johnny decided he was going to misbehave. So in what way does that make sense? In private practice, I did the same thing. When I was in Illinois, I had dealing with some family cases and divorces and stuff. It didn't make sense that you're going to miss work to come to my office to meet with me to pay me. No. When are you off? Well, I'm off on Saturday. Great. How about I come by your house at 1 o'clock? That's what I did. It just seemed like common sense. It wasn't like I was a good deed doer. It just was 
In what world are you going to be able to pay me if you're losing your job? You know, and people always thought, oh my gosh. It, no, it's really not all that. It just made sense to me. It might not make sense for somebody else, and I'm not saying that what I did was right and what somebody else did was wrong, but it's what made sense to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, if you're yeah. analyzing, you know, the entire situation and you're trying to prevent a cycle, you know, from happening, I mean, the best thing to do would be to analyze everything that's going on and say, okay, well, this is going to create a problem. Let's try to at least avoid this if we can. But I think that's part of what I also bring to the bench. So you've, you will encounter people in your life that have gone from high school to college to a given profession, whatever that is, and, and that's kind of it. They might have had the part-time jobs during the summer and working here, working there. Um, I've done a variety of things. I've, I've worked in academia. I've worked in manufacturing. I've worked, you know, a variety of different jobs. I know what it's like to live life. I know what it's like to be a single parent. I know what it's like trying to juggle, well, what am I going to do at this time? Or, okay, who's got to get the, you know, I got to get so-and-so from school. I've got to, oh, I now I have to be here. Or, oh, okay, so that costs that much. All right, what are we going to do without so I can make sure this? I, I think people lose sight of that, and that's part of that understanding when people come to court. I've had this argument with a lot of people, and maybe I'm just crazy, uh, but I don't really think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, you know, today's the day I'm going to totally mess up my life and that of everybody around me. Okay? Let me set my alarm clock for that. No. People are human beings. They make mistakes. Are some more horrendous than others? Sure. Are some deliberate choices? Yes. But by and large, I don't think the majority of people wake up today and go, you know what? You know, I'm just never going to get that driver's license because, by gosh darn it, I don't really think I should have to do that. No. For whatever reason, they get behind because they've gotten the one ticket. And then the one ticket spirals into this ticket. And then it costs so much money, but I have to get to work. And there's no bus that goes over here. So I got to I, I got to take that chance because I, I've got to get that job. And then they don't pay this. They don't pay that. And things spiral out of hand. Are there deliberate choices? Sure. You chose to drive that car without a license. But what can we do about that? What do we need to do to get the license? Mm -hmm. So that they're not in this... Let's try to remedy the situation. This, they're in a hamster wheel. And it's not getting any better. So I think you have to realize that the people that come before you are human beings, number one. Nobody's perfect. And the people that say, oh, I've never broken the law, I don't think so. You just probably just never got caught. How many times did you get in that car and forget to buckle that safety belt? Or you roll through that stop sign? Or, you know, those little turn signals on your car that a lot of people just don't know that, well, they don't know that they exist, I think. But, you know, those are all laws that you've broken. You know? So when you start with that, and then you couple it with, how would you want to be treated if you were that person? And then proceed from there. I think it makes things a whole lot better. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I would. I would definitely say so. And that's kind of the. Um, that's my approach to kind of just dealing with people. It's just I want to deal with everyone on the same level that I would want everybody to deal with me with. 
And if things change throughout the relationship, then things change. But I don't want to just go in and just decide who someone is until, you know, I thoroughly get to figure that out myself. Um, and that's the same thing that happens with judges, though, right? Mm. Right. Um, one of my favorite judges I loved to learn about when I was when I was a teenager and then I, I revisited again during during law school was Justice Lewis Brandeis. And he's quoted as having said, if you want people to respect the law, you have to first make the law respectable. So what does that mean? To me, it means judicial restraint, okay? impartiality, fairness, knowing what the law is, and you don't pre-decide anything, right? So that's part of that whole, we don't make up the law, we don't create the law, at least not at the circuit court level. So you have to have a thorough understanding of what the law is. But everybody who's an attorney at some point that has had to go to court will tell you that there's sometimes you go, ooh, that type of case, yeah, it's up to you. Because there are decisions that the client makes, okay? Mm -hmm. The client decides whether or not to substitute. In other words, you get one kick at the cat. You assign this judge, okay, it just gets tabbed, right? You want to substitute, you can substitute. But you only get one time, okay? And then it gets retabbed to one of the other judges that may be doing this type of thing. Um, because everybody, over time, you start watching and saying, oh, this type of judge doesn't like, was really harder on these types of cases mm -hmm. or that type. Yeah. I mean, this is just, it's, you know, you, it's public knowledge. Well, I mean, you, it's not, yeah, it's you, not, you it's not a. You hear about it even well, just like publicly with people. Yeah, it's, it's not a, I mean, look at the cases that you see that go, that make public and, and people hear about the Supreme Court. Oh, well, this judge usually does this type of thing or blah. Mm. Okay. Um, the, the day that somebody can start telling me, oh, Larissa does blah, 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 don't go do that. Um, that's the day I need to stop doing this mm. because it's not supposed to work that way. Okay. Um, that's not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to know what the law is and apply the law for that particular set of facts mm. and the people that come before you. Mm. So not everything is the same. For example, got a kid caught stealing at the grocery store, mm. right? First thing, ooh, delinquent, right? Oh, can't do that. Retail theft, class A misdemeanor, $10,000, nine months of county jail. Uh, my first question is, is why? Well, what do they steal? Young man stole a jar of peanut butter. Mm. Some bread and a package of lunch meat. Mm. Wonder why that was. Bingo, right? Okay. Mommy nowhere to be found. He's trying to feed his two younger siblings for the past two weeks and still go to school. Now, is this the same classification that you want to do with the retail theft of somebody that's going in there and stealing vacuum cleaners from Myers? I would say no. Exactly. So, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look at each individual set of circumstances. Mm. 
victims in the case have a right to be made whole. You've got all these cogs in the wheel that you have to look at. And that can't be done in 15-minute blocks. So you have to be willing to listen to everyone, the victim, the circumstance, whatever. And then sometimes you have to think outside of the box. You know, not everybody needs to be on probation. For what? Tell me they have a probationary need. Are we dealing with drugs? We've got tons of services in Kenosha. It's unbelievable the amount of services we have in this community as compared to other communities throughout the state. Alcohol? Do they need a diploma so they can give, get a job? I mean, what's going on here? We have to look at everyone in every situation. And you have to be willing to do that. And that takes time. You know, everybody's entitled to their day in court. But make it worthwhile. So you need to open up your eyes and you need to look. And you can't be so jaded to think that, ah, well, it's this, that, you know, we're just, this is what we're, no. It shouldn't be. Uh, at least I don't feel it should be. I feel like if you asked at least any regular citizen how it should be, that's how they would say it should be too, you know, at least for the most part. Maybe not everybody, but I, I think general consensus would lead to that being the you know the general answer just because that's how it's supposed to be right that's how they always taught us how it's supposed to be and that's right. how it's written in stone how it should be so well see that's the beauty part of working here in Kenosha right hmm. um, I have made such incredible uh, relationships and contacts with so many people and organizations throughout Kenosha County hmm. over the last you know 15 or more years so I know when I have a certain situation that, oh, golly gee, maybe, maybe let's all think outside of the box and you're talking with the attorneys. Have we talked to this organization about this? Have we tapped these people for these resources? I mean, just in juvenile land alone, our foster care families, oh my God, they are amazing. These are people that take in children who they've done nothing, you know, and they bring them into their homes. They make them part of their families. They include them in things. And they work with everyone. And again, the goal is whatever the situation that caused these kids to be out of home, the legislature has said children should really be with their families, with their parents, right? That's the goal, reunification. So everybody is working on these things to get these kids back home. You know, the only people that have to do the hard lifting are the parents, but the amount of services we have, it's unbelievable. I've talked to people all across the state, and everybody just shakes their head like, wow, you do that? Yeah, we do that. But again, part of that's education, and that's what I would like to start doing more of is educating the community as to what we have and how grateful I am for one, as a judge, to know that when I place somebody for very unfortunate reasons outside of their home, that we know they're with people who are going to love and take care of them and be part of the process of trying to help reunify these families. You know, our social workers are, are incredible. Um, it's, but I don't think people know. 
I didn't know until I started working in the legal community here in Kenosha. I didn't know half these these resources existed. You know, I had no idea. When you know, I have a nephew who's unfortunate to have had a stroke several years ago. Young guy. I mean, he's a huge athlete, but is and that's what saved him. But nonetheless, he still has brain damage and, and et cetera. He comes visit me a couple times a year. Had I not known about the resources because of working in our community, of knowing how Kenosha takes care of Kenoshans, um, I wouldn't have known who to call when I needed to, you know, get that shower chair or what other resources can I get for when he comes to visit. And there's stuff that you can borrow. And then they, you give it back when he goes back. I mean, who would have known these things? But that's part of being tied to the community and working for your community. It's part of um, just being part of the team. I mean, I think everybody in Kenosha wants everybody to be productive members of society because that benefits us all, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's, man, that's amazing. Um, Honestly, I, I don't think I've ever, uh, at least recently, haven't gotten to the point where I didn't uh, know what to say because this is uh, going really good. Uh, let's, um, so I, I know you were, um, I know you were, you were appointed to the uh, the seat right by uh, Governor Evers, if Correct. I'm not mistaken. So how did that process go? Well, that was kind of kind of interesting. Um, I didn't even realize that. Judge Bashanelli was retiring until I heard it like a week after everybody else seemed to know, and that kind of surprised me. I'd been bugging him for quite some time that, you know, please don't ever leave, please don't ever leave. And the reason is, uh, over the years practicing in Kenosha, um, I got to know Judge Bashanelli very well. He was um, somebody I highly respected and still do. Uh, extremely intelligent man. Um, he had an, he has an incredible sense of humor and he's somebody I would go wine to uh, periodically. So a couple times a month, you know, every other month, something like that. I'd go bug him early on a Friday morning um, to talk about stuff that wasn't before him, but just other cases I was working on or sometimes I just ask him, all right, what are you doing? What's new? Tell me something. Um, because he loved the law and that learning as much as I did. And he would help me and we'd discuss different things, whether it was, you know, this theory in, in this kind of a civil litigation case or whatever. And it was just fun. He was fun. It was somebody I could bounce stuff off of and, um, and, and that sort of thing. So uh, it was, he's one of them. You should apply for this kid. Okay, fine. So I thought, well, if not now, when? Because it was always like, oh, do I have enough experience? Have I have I handled enough of different types of cases? And he's like, just put in for it. So I didn't tell anybody. I went ahead and filled out the application. I submitted uh, some things that I'd written. Um, as you have to turn in, you know, like they want writing samples. Well, I just finished writing a huge, uh, you know, co-writing with uh, another attorney in the office, uh, uh, an appeal that I was in the process of on a big case. And um, turned in that, and I turned in 
uh, some other writing stuff I, I don't re recall at this point but you have to turn in that your resume and mm -hmm. some other things and and um, you know there you go well I, I didn't turn in any letter of recommendation and I got fussed at by people for that and I think it I mean what really I, I've always thought those were so silly for a job I mean come on you're really gonna are you really gonna ask somebody who thinks you're a schmuck to hey could you write me a letter of no I mean no these people in Madison are very smart. They will make all the phone calls and do whatever they need to do and do. So I didn't tell anybody and I just turned it in. And then um, what the governor's, uh, what I was later told was um, basically everybody who had applied, um, everybody got interviews in Madison. Um, I tend to be very, want to make sure I know where I'm going, what I'm doing. So yes, I went up the night before, got a hotel room because I didn't want to get lost and did the dry run the night before only to realize that if you look out my hotel room, the building that I wanted to go to was like right there. I literally could have walked, um, but I wanted to be sure. So you interview with a smaller committee and everybody had a, a scripted question is what they said. We Each one was assigned a particular question to ask and then you went around and answered that question. And then from that process, um, it got uh, whittled down to, I believe, uh, three people, myself and, and two others. And then from there, we had another interview in Madison with the governor's uh, council. So uh, the, I think it was his chief counsel and then two associates. And then um, from there, uh, I got the call that, you know, to come meet with the governor. And then I... Course you can't tell anybody any of these things the whole time all this is going on and then you meet with the governor and then you know but you can't say anything until so the governor the governor and so. makes the announcement so nobody really knows anything you know stuff but you don't know stuff mm -hmm. and then eventually uh, it was announced and like I said the only thing that didn't happen was the formal formal swearing in ceremony um, we tried to do it it was calendared a couple different times but COVID and it wasn't getting any better over the summer and I kept bumping it and getting a new date and a new date and you know and then if, if your family can't can't be there because people couldn't come from out of state and you know it's kind of like you know so but that's okay it's okay you know at least you got to uh actually go through the process at least right it, it would be if the whole thing would have been like virtual, I uh, would have taken away probably at least well, some of it from you. You know, I know you couldn't I, do like the whole ceremony, but at least you got to do go to Madison. Well, I think that's. I mean, we do virtual in court. I right. mean, I mean, when I started, okay, it, COVID was here. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the way it was. I immediately we start on on Zoom, and mm -hmm. I've got I've got cameras set up and hooked some things up. So we, we do hybrid hearings because sometimes I've had people in my courtroom for things, mm. okay? Uh, especially when I was doing, you know, small claims, landlord, people don't have attorneys. They don't understand how this stuff works. Now, as a judge, you cannot give legal advice. You cannot tell somebody, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to fill this out, you need to come over here. You can't do that. That's a violation of your judicial ethics. So you're not allowed to give legal advice. But people need their day in court. Right? Mm -hmm. So you got two people that nobody has attorneys. Well, guess what? We're going to social distance everybody. Everybody's going to come in mask, bring in all your stuff, mm -hmm. and we're just going to have, have, have the day in court. Mm -hmm. So you give them a whole day. 
I did email all Friday. You know, and, and that's what we do because these people think they have a claim. These people think they have a claim. And, you know, with attorneys, it's great. You file your documents. Go ahead and do that. I'll screen share. Find it on your laptop. You know, no big deal. When I tell you screen share, you can screen share it. We'll do it. And everybody can see. No, they don't. Some people can't even figure out how to put Zoom on their phone. I handle, I have this all day long. So, you know, I've had people in the courtroom since, you know, May, June, July, occasionally. So we have hybrid hearings where people in court get to see on the monitor um, the people that are on Zoom and the people on Zoom get to see me and the people in court on their computer screens. For an interview process, you could do that virtually, but I think we miss so much of the interaction of having that face-to-face. -face. It still feels kind of, you know, yeah, not necessarily. For an interview, it's it's kind you of want to kind of feel the other and that's well, energy. and that's the same thing in in criminal cases. You have an absolute right if you are in the process and you want to enter a plea or you know it's time to go to sentencing or whatever. Tell everyone you have the absolute right to appear in person in this courtroom, and if that's what you want, I will make that happen because that is their right, COVID or not. So we'll figure it out. You know, we'll mask up. Everybody masks up. We'll social distance everybody. But you have that right. So Kenosha, as other, other counties, we're having a great deal of difficulty, you know, getting online and getting everything. We've got a phenomenal chief, phenomenal group of, of, of judges. And we were up and rolling like that, ready to go online with Zoom, YouTube channels. I mean, it was all, it was all there, you know, so... Like I said, Kenosha rocks. Yeah, but, that's good to hear that they were able to. Oh yeah, it was. Over it, good. it was. It was immediate. It was just how it was. Yeah. You know, so that's promising. We're in tune. We gotta just stay that way. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So before we wrap up, I want to just make sure that I give you the floor to make sure you mention anything that you wanted to mention. Um, of course, let people know how they can find you, your website, all of that as well. Absolutely. Um, I've got uh, Judge Benitez Morgan uh, on Facebook. You can find me there. And you also have Benitez Morgan for judge.org is uh, the actual uh, campaign um, website. Uh, and you can find me down the court. Uh, circuit court is open. We've never, we've never closed. We only had two days where we actually had to physically close the building um, since COVID, but uh, we're open. And that's the other thing I'm not sure everybody seems to understand. Certain hearings are closed hearings um, for a variety of, of privacy reasons, whether it's a, a mental health type issue, um, some family court hearings, uh, contested divorces. I, I, by statute, you can close those hearings. And I would do that because I don't think somebody's having a divorce is, is public fodder. Okay, This is a very private, private thing, especially when, when children are um, but by and large, criminal hearings, those are open to the public, not juvenile hearings, unless you happen to be the victim, then you're allowed to come in. But go check it out. Go see how things are working. Um, I think that's important. Um, I also encourage people to get involved in the community. There's so many things that are going on here in Kenosha. Um, it's a wonderful town. We've had, had our ups and downs in the last few months. But that's not who we are. 
Um, I love this town. I've loved it since I moved here. Um, it's why I work here. It's why I live here. Um, it's a great place. And more importantly, um, running for judge. So April 6th, come out and vote. Uh, I realize people are probably tired of voting in elections, um, but it's important. It's important. Um, it's how you voice what you feel. And it's the one thing that you have. Uh, so it's a vote. Yeah, definitely. And it's the one thing that um, can keep you informed, right? You yes. Know, if you stay involved and you pay attention to all of the little things that are happening, you'll be in tune with the larger scale of things as well, you know? Because it's you may randomly stumble upon a case that you just wanted to see what was going on. And then maybe you learn something about it, right? Maybe you learn that a law is a way that you don't necessarily agree with. And now you know what to go back to your legislator and, and bring up to them, right? Or find someone that will help support your cause. Absolutely. Because once again, judges do not make law, not circuit court judges. We have to do what is there before us. We don't charge people with crimes. We don't dismiss stuff because it's television, because it's not. It's real life. You know, I mean, the more we can inform people, um, the better I think we are. You know, maybe we need to get back to start having uh, civics classes and and doing something. I, I've thought about doing that, you know, maybe virtually once a month, you know, ask a judge, uh, you know, ask a question, find out how things go. I mean, how many people go, oh, you didn't read me my rights. Well, that's not really how that works. Again, that's television. You have to have two things. It's custodial interrogation. So you have to have certain things in play at the time in order for certain things to happen. Um, so I, I think that's important. Um, you are who you live in your community. You, it, it, the community is representative of you. And that was the other thing that I wanted to, why I wanted to be a judge is I think the judicial bench should be reflective of the community in which it serves. You know, before I came on, one quarter of the judiciary were women. Well, now we got more. Okay. Um, I'm also the first person of color in the entire judicial second district. I didn't know that. I did not know that I was the first one appointed as a judge. That's Walworth. That's Racine, and that's Kenosha. Wow. They've never had anybody of color. How can that be? Well. Because we're out there. Yeah. So the more people know, the more you get involved, the better you can make your community. But it requires taking the time to educate yourself, learn something, and then do something. You know, when I was a kid, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one, one quick little story, and I think it kind of um, it sums up uh, probably the my favorite person in my life was my mom. She wasn't just my mom; she was my educator. She was my best friend. In April, it'll be seven years since she died. When I was a kid, my father was an officer in the military. 
and his last duty station was in Virginia. So that's where I grew up in Virginia Beach. Mm -hmm. And um, in elementary school, he was doing one of several tours of, in Vietnam. And um, mom worked in the cafeteria as lunchroom lady, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, this is old school, okay? I'm dating myself. This is back when we had people in the cafeteria that actually made meals. Mm -hmm. They baked bread, it smelled great. I mean, they literally made homemade meals every day in the cafeteria. Cafeteria was a huge auditorium and also served as the auditorium, right? Up front, you had the stage and then there was a piano. Mm -hmm. So schools were just becoming um, uh, desegregated. And young black boy had come into our school. He was one grade below me. His name was Anthony. He sat at my table. And, you know, mom's always going around, eat your food, eat your food, eat your food, telling you about all the people that were starving all over the world because that's what mothers of my generation did. And I remember Anthony one day asked mom if he could play the piano at the front of the cafeteria. Well, that's music to my mother's ears, right? Anything a child wants to do, you must do. You know, I mean, you have to encourage that. You do everything you can for that. So, of course, mother uh, told Anthony he can go up there and, and play the piano. So all I kept thinking was, oh, God, please, 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 let him be terrible, let him be terrible, because this is going to ruin my total life. He was unbelievable. Yeah. I was just in awe of what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And then the next thought through my head was, oh, there went my Saturday mornings and Sundays. I'm really going to have to step this up. <laughs> A couple weeks later, uh, Anthony started riding the bus home with me every day. And he'd go in the living room and he'd be practicing on my piano because mother had asked him, uh, well, how many hours a day do you practice? What do you, what do you, what do, you do? Again, I'm thinking, I'm going to have to step my game up here. And uh, he said he only practiced the piano on Sundays after church. Well, if you knew my mother, that wasn't going to work. So he came home with me every day and at least three or four times a week. And he'd practice, practice on my piano. And then after that, uh, you know, I'm doing my homework, mother's doing dinner stuff and everything else. And then mother would load him up in the car and we'd drive Anthony home. And that lasted for a few months. And um, one day Anthony didn't come home on the bus with me. And I remember asking mom, well, what happened? And she said, uh, he has his own piano now. He can play it for as long as he wants as many days in a row as he wants. Mm. He doesn't have to wait for just a Sunday to be able to play the piano. And I thought, ah, I'm a kid. I'm like 12 years old. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Mm. Whatever. It wasn't until years later that I asked mom, you know, do you remember that kid? She said, oh, yeah, yeah. He was a wonderful, wonderful boy. Oh, he could play the piano so wonderful. And I said, well, how can we stop? And she said, well, and then I started, she started telling me. And I just as a kid, really wasn't paying attention. I knew that he came home to play piano with me because we had a piano and he did not. But I didn't realize that mom was working with the other officers' wives and they were doing little fundraisers and whatnot. So they managed to buy Anthony a piano and have it delivered to his house. Mother never went around proclaiming, oh, I did this, I did this. She saw a need and she filled it. It's the way I was raised. I'm not going to uh, apologize for that. I'm not going to explain it. It's part of who I am. And I hope I've instilled that in my kids. When you see a need, 
you fill it. And yeah, I could have probably made a whole lot more money than working at the public defender's office, continuing to do copyright and trademark and that sort of thing, but it's not who I am. I saw a need, I applied, and I filled it. Kenosha needed good attorneys. So that's, uh, so that's me. It, it, I'm just Larissa. Most people in Kenosha from one end of the eye to the other know me as Larissa. It's because I have that long convoluted name. You know, in courtroom it's different, it's judge, but otherwise it's it's just me. You know. Well, Larissa, Judge Larissa, <laughs> Morgan, I definitely appreciate you coming in. Oh, I thank um, you for the invitation and I thank you for what you're doing. Uh, it's important and I hope that even after election season's gone that you continue to, uh, and wish you all the success um, because I think it's important for people to see what's really uh, their community and how wonderful this community is and how we are helping each other heal and all the positive things that are going on in Kenosha um, because that's what Kenosha is all about. Yeah, that's how, that's what it's been about as long as I can remember and I've lived here my entire life. So, yeah, I definitely am going to continue on because these conversations, they're needed in the community. Um, and just, I mean, there is so much that people can learn just from this talk alone um, that is going to benefit everyone. So that's, of course, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. I hope you continue doing what you're doing. Uh, best of April luck. 6th, Branch yeah. 1. Yep. Make sure everyone... I'm asking for your vote. Make sure you get out there and vote April 6th for Branch 1. Uh, make sure that you're educated. Make sure you play back the interview. Um, reach out if you have any questions about anything as well. Um, you can find any information on Larissa's page. Um, again, that is judgebenitezmorgan.org. Yeah. And then you have Judge Larissa Benitez Morgan on Facebook as Correct. well. Correct. All right. So make sure you guys reach out if you have any questions. Make sure you, again, play back the interview so you have all of the information that you need. And then make sure you head out on April 6th. Or if you do, you know, uh, mail-in ballots or however, vote early. All that good stuff. Just make sure you're prepared to get that done. Um, thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate all of you. Larissa, again, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you, by. Corey. I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. And you all have a good one.